This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I review the Bud Light Cocktail Hour Pack, discuss the blood-sucking foes of the current Book 5 final fight, spoiler-free of course, preview Book 6 of Carrying Crown, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. On recording night, but a different show. You know, it's all messed up lately. It really is. It's all over the place. We're recording five shows a week one week, then nothing the next week, and Zone of Truth on Thursday nights, which we never do, and going to be recording a lot this weekend. Yep. Busy, busy. Yeah. No rest for the wicked. That's the truth. How have you been, man? Pretty good. I haven't seen you uh, in person for a week, which is maybe the longest that I haven't seen you in person this year. Yeah, it might be. It might actually be true. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when we do these drunken discordalies remote, man. Pretty much, yeah. Got me sitting in the chair at home, living my best life, but far away. Yeah. New Albany, Ohio. We needed a break after the last Oracle excursion anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. We needed some time away. We did some rest and and recharge. We did (laughs) close down that bar. Pretty bad look for the crew. Yeah. (laughs) Crews in shambles. (laughs) Filled up an entire table with crushed beer cans. And oh boy, where to even begin? We're not getting into that. No, (laughs) no, let's not. (laughs) But it was a rough go. How have you been this week, man? Pretty good. Pretty busy. The work's been pretty busy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, gearing up for another couple busy weeks we've got uh Ooh, you know no kidding got a lot of recording we're going out of town for a day this weekend and then we're out of town all next weekend for the brew fest back mm-hmm. home which i'm really excited for and then it's yours and Haley's birthday the next weekend we're doing a big charity stream and we're doing all kinds of stuff yeah busy 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 these next three weekends it's going to be a meat grinder but it's october for you october's yeah. always been busy for us october people say is the hlp super bowl yeah, except we we don't do five Evil Interlude episodes in October anymore. That's true. I feel like it's just every month is our Super Bowl now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah multiple shows, and that's what, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, what have you been up to, man? What, what have you been getting into? Uh, let's see. Finished She-Ra. Oh, so nice. it's, it's done now. Finished the final season. Everybody gets together at the end of that final season. It's, it's that's really, how it should yeah, be. It's really, um, really something. But happy ending. Mm-hmm. It was a good series. I liked it. Aside from that, I've just been kind of chilling. I got a, um, it's a wristwatch that's kind of like a Fitbit style thing, but it's the new Digivice from Digimon. Um, oh my God. What's the what's the new season? It's like Ghost Game. Digimon Ghost Game is the new season. Of course. Of uh, course you did. <laughs> so it's kind of like a Tamagotchi. I have it charging right now. The thing's got an abysmal battery. <laughs> like the, the battery literally lasts for a, like a full 24 hours. What? And like that's like a, a Fitbit style watch that is like rarely on. Like mm-hmm. the screen is not on very frequently. What do you do with it? You have a Digimon. Uh-huh. So they have these little chips that they sell and the, it comes with one to start. But it yeah. like it comes with a... It imports a baby Digimon into it and then can like digivolve it through its Digivolution tree. So you have like 30 different Digivolutions per, per chip. Real words. <laughs> per chip. What baby do you have in your watch? I don't even know. It's it's one of the new ones that mm. I, and I haven't watched the new series. It's like this electric one, but I get the Black Agumon chip, the Black Gabumon chip, and the uh, Impmon chip. Those are some of my favorite rookies. So. I'm excited to start using those, but I'm just using the chip it came with because that's the first one I had. Mm-hmm. And right now I think he's a champion level, but it's like based off of like they digivolve based off of how much you walk and like your heart rate and like you can go take them on missions. So like sometimes the mission is just like go to the brew fest. Yeah. Sometimes the mission is just go drink 50 beers. <laughs> <laughs> now the missions are like, you know, do 2000 steps and you, solve today's mission and then there's like longer form missions that are just like walk as far as you can <laughs> <laughs> all right it's like let's see how you sure. do on this mission 
So they're varied. Like it connects to an app and you can like battle other people. And the app is like not a watch. It's, mm-hmm. it's like an actual game. So you can battle people with your Digimon and you can like store your Digimon on the app and stuff. Do they have to be local or can you like? No, it's like, anyone? yeah, it's just okay. anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wondered how that worked because like with Pokemon Go, you can battle people locally, right? Yeah. But with Digimon, I mean, no shade at Digimon, but I can't imagine a lot of people are walking around with this watch. Yeah, no, no, it's, <laughs> like, it's like the, it's, I mean, I think it's the, it's the next iteration of the Digivice basically. So it's, it's like, I don't know what that is. either. So in the Digimon series, mm-hmm. the Digidestined are the kids oh, that, Christ. that, uh, that get sucked into the digital world <laughs> and they each have a Digivice. Like this is something that like manifests that they use to like, mm-hmm. it basically ties them to a Digimon. Okay. Right. So each season, the Digivices had a different design, and they started as like something that looked like a Tamagotchi, right? Sure. In, in the first season of Digimon, everybody had basically a Tamagotchi, and that was what was like your Digivice went off, and like that allowed your Digimon to like gather data particles and Digivolve. But then in like season two, they started to look like uh, is like an egg-shaped thing, and then like they started to move like closer and closer to like modern technology uh-huh. like whatever the technology was when that season came out was kind of like where the digivices kind of trended like did they always sell the partner digital so it, was, it wasn't always a watch okay. now it's a watch like oh. this this version of the digivice is a watch that's kind of like a fitbit but like in season three like the tamers mm-hmm. digimon like do you, do you remember digitamers no they're not no it's like the name of the series like so digimon the first season was called digimon adventure Mm-hmm. And then it was Digimon Adventure 2, because they weren't created for Season 2. And then it was Digimon Tamers was Season 3. Okay. And then Digimon, like, Battle Frontier or something. So right now it's Ghost Game. And <laughs> But so, for example, how they kind of, like, changed with the technology. Do you remember? I'm just watching the clock on this recording. Like, I can't believe how long we're going on this tangent. Do, do you remember back when... Like the Game Boys and stuff had like those integrated like card readers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. When Digimon Tamers came out, mm-hmm. those Digivices you could sl- like you could slot cards into them because that was the popular kid technology. Oh, sure, yeah. So like the Digivice changes based off of like what is popular kid technology right now. Ooh, I wonder what the Digivice of the future will be. It's probably gonna be like a like implant, a, like the Google Glass or whatever. Mm, I sure, imagine that would be one. Sure. So anyway, I have a Digimon now. Okay. Uh, and been messing with that for about a week. Awesome. Well, how fun is that? And charging it every day, apparently. Charging it literally. Like, you can put him to sleep and, like, the screen doesn't go on. Like, the screen doesn't. I don't know how much battery is being taken by it just, like, measuring my heart, my pulse. But apparently a lot. I'm giving it all she's got, sir. <laughs> but, like, the thing, the thing, like, I'll I'll go to bed with it and forget to, like, charge it. Like, mm-hmm. it's charging right now. I, I'll forget to charge it, and then it'll be, like, at half battery. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I, there's no way the screen turned on. Like, there's, there's nothing that, that happened here. Just measuring your biometrics takes all she's got. <laughs> it takes all she's got. I mean, the battery in the thing's, like, absolute trash. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Well, I got to start talking about some of the stuff that I've been getting into. I'll be, I'll be mercifully short here. I want to talk about two different shows that I've been watching. One is one that I set my alarm for very early yesterday so that I could catch it before work or at least as much of it as I could. That of course is Star Wars Andor. And let me tell you, I've seen the first three episodes. It is not a show for the like quote unquote baby Yoda crowd. It's much slower. It's more deliberate. It has a vision and it's taking its time getting there and I'm loving it. It does not appear to me, at least three episodes in, that this is like a Star Wars espionage thriller. This is like an espionage thriller that happens to be set in the Star Wars universe, Okay, which I'm here for. That's why I love Rogue One, which this is like kind of a prequel show too. Rogue One, of course, is a Star Wars movie, but it's a little bit more of like a war movie that happens to be in the Star Wars universe. So I love it. So anyway. Love it. It's been really good so far, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. And that was going to be everything that I was going to talk about today, because I wanted to talk about the new Wonder Years album, but I have to wait three and a half more hours before that drops. (laughs) It's not in time for this recording. So I was like, that was going to be it. And then last night, 
I watched a movie with Brooks. We watched Jaws 4, The Revenge. Classic I've good day movie. Yeah, it's a good one. And afterwards, I was a little wound up from the just excellent shark movie. And I couldn't get to bed right away. So I went on Netflix and was like, ah, oh, what's on here? What am I going to throw on? And I saw that they released a show based on Jeffrey Dahmer starring Evan Peters. And I was like, well, I'm going to start this tonight. Oh, my God. Keep you up. It sure did. <laughs> I only watched the first episode. And what I will say is it is terrifying. I have not been actually scared by television in a very, very long time. And it was very scary. Evan Peters is chilling as Jeffrey Dahmer. Frankly, can't speak about the series as a whole because I haven't seen anything past the pilot. But the pilot felt like you never got out of the cold open. I was always expecting it to like end and then the rest of the series to start. But it basically is just you in the cold open for damn near 50 minutes. And it is so tense. I fucking loved it. It was so good. So very high recommendation there. Of course, again, though, like massive content warning on there. It's Jeffrey Dahmer. You should know what you're getting into before you get in there. So like, it's very, very disturbing, but it's very, very well done. At least what I've seen so far. Anyway, that's all I'm going to talk about this week. Let's review some seltzers. So one of the things about the HLP seltzer reviews that I appreciate is how on trend we are. You know, the fall seltzers drop, we're trying the fall seltzers. The winter seltzers drop, we're trying the winter seltzers. Yeah. And of course, on the first day of fall, we're trying Bud Light's summer cocktail hour pack. Mm -hmm. Very on trend. Yep. So we kind of missed the boat on this one, honestly, because I was kind of avoiding this pack because I'm getting a little sick of cocktail seltzer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little sick. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sesh recently actually sick. But just in general, there have been a bunch of them, man. Like the Alani ones, the Truly ones. There's a lot of them out there. And I was like, Bud Light cocktail seltzers can't be that great. Just save them for when we got nothing else to do. And then I walked in the door today and Haley's like, didn't you already review these? And I was like, no, I don't think so. She's like, Bud Light has done a cocktail seltzer pack that you did on Zone of Truth. It was called the Out of Office Pack. And I was like, fuck. Are we doing the same thing again? So I compared the flavors, and Griff, you'll be happy to know that this is a completely different pack. Only three of the flavors are the same. Oh my god. Masterful marketing play <laughs> by Bud Light. Yeah, completely different pack. Uh, you know what flopped the uh, the, the old out of office pack? Let's let's change one thing about it. <laughs> Make it our new summer pack. Yep. So it's too late to abandon the premise. So here we are reviewing this pack basically for the second time. I have uh, no idea. Way too late in the season. I have no idea what we rated any of the stuff from the other one. So, well, I don't remember the exact ratings, but I remember what we were thinking. Okay, well, I'll keep that to myself. Yeah, I don't. So I'm curious if it gets the same rating for me. I can't imagine we this one was in recent memory. The out of office pack I thought was like out of office because it was a, like COVID a play times. on COVID yeah. stuff. So I think it was last year. Yeah. Who so, knows? So like we, we've got a lot of shit under our belts now to kind of compare this to. That's true. So without further ado. Your favorite summer cocktail flavors meet the refreshment of a hard seltzer in a new limited edition cocktail hour variety pack. This reads so much funnier when you know that it's the same shit. Yeah, they, the I, I really wish you would have gone in and added air quotes to the <laughs> stuff. <that laughs> new. Whether you are lounging at the pool, soaking in the sun at the beach, uh, it was also 65 degrees today, or relaxing in the backyard, these classic cocktail-inspired seltzers are perfect for any occasion. A vibrant twist on classic bold cocktail flavors with seltzer stats. This limited edition variety pack includes tropical punch, lime margarita, watermelon mojito, and strawberry daiquiri flavors. Cheers to seltzer hour, 5% ABV, 0% sugar, and or rather zero gram sugar and 100 calories. Okay, how are we going to rate these seltzers? Well, when I was looking at the frequently asked questions about the Bud Light cocktail hour pack, I didn't see any frequently asked questions like, have you done this already? But I did see, are these your loudest flavors ever? Apparently a frequently asked question of Bud Light. So and they said yes. out of office to drink them. They said yes, these are their loudest flavors ever. So I went to a scale of noises. And so... One out of five, we're calling this 15 decibels or the sound of rustling leaves. Two out of five is 45 decibels or light rain. 
three or 75 decibels is a toilet flushing four 105 decibels is a chainsaw and five out of five is 160 decibels a shotgun blast surprising how close a toilet flushing is to a chainsaw it seems kind of close i mean it's right in the middle between that i and mean it's rain. as close yeah it's it's not as close but it's nearly yeah it is as close as light rain is to a toilet flushing right right but it's like i don't think a chainsaw is two times as loud as light rain it's like a lot louder this is a, a well decibel yeah decibels are i don't know i feel like decibels aren't one to one yeah i'm looking at this list and i don't think they are all right maybe a parabolic i don't know well you want to crack open this watermelon mojito and read the copy for me sure i'm just checking out the artwork on the packs to see if i remember it but it does look like they put a they put a new sleeve on it. So, uh, watermelon mojito, sure to cool seltzer fans down this summer with its sweet, fresh watermelon taste and a crisp, minty finish. Oh, at least they're nice and cold, man. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's mojito forward. Yeah, yeah. I don't hate it. It's a little bit more artificial, but it's pretty close to being on par with the Dua Lipa packs, uh, the Truly packs mojito to me. Yeah, I'd give that a slight edge to this, but I agree with you. Yeah. This is not bad. I think I'd, I'd give that a chainsaw. Huh. I think that's pretty good. I think I might as well. Yeah, 105 decibels chainsaw. That's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely drinkable. The watermelon's good. The mint's good. You're getting some of both. Like you said, it's a little artificial, but am I really going to hold that against it? I think that's I something that we get okay. from yeah. every Bud Light pack. Anyway, I think so. so. Let's uh, pop on over to Lime Margarita. This fresh citrusy seltzer is a good reminder that it's lime o'clock somewhere citrusy i did get tripped up on that it's <laughs> come back to me a little bit i haven't tried this one but mm -hmm. uh yeah yep. yeah i remember this remember this being the bad margarita seltzer yep i remember this i think given recent attempts that we've seen at a margarita seltzer this is certainly not the worst we've had no, but, but I mean, you can't, like, you can't really be throwing session there. No, in the mix. Yeah, 45 I mean, decibels light rain. Like, yeah, this that, isn't that, good, but that's where it's I was not gonna, trash. That's where I was going to go with that, I think. You know, it's interesting. I think some of the margaritas we've tried have attempted the salt. Yes. Uh, this one doesn't, but no. that's always interesting when they try. I kind of like it. Yeah, I don't mind it. I think it's strange, objectively, but... It's different, and it makes me actually think of the cocktail and not just getting constantly reminded that this is a pale imitation of something that's actually good. I'm getting really disappointed by how bad the bad packs have ruined us, though. Oh, yeah, I'm gung-ho on this, and probably a year I'm like, ago, I'm like, I, I would have drank all this. We went on a stretch <laughs> of funny. shit. I'll, like, I'll chill on these, yeah. Yeah, not terrible from Bud Light here on the Lime Margarita. All right, what you got for me next? Now, the next one up is Tropical Punch, but because that is the new flavor, I think we should save that for the end. Okay. How about you crack into this strawberry daiquiri yeah, for me? toss me a deck. Let's see. This take on the chilled summer classic offers a mild sweetness with a hint of lime flavored tartness in the refreshment of a hard seltzer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this. Yep. Tastes identical the last time. Yep. I don't know what I gave it last time. I'm going to give it a three toilet flushing. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Dude, I'm in total lockstep with you on this pack so far. That's a three for me as well. And I'm going to give it to the fact that I got like strawberry Skittle flavor out of that. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the, that's an enjoyable flavor. Of and that's kind of where daiquiri trends too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not going to be your straight, like straight strawberry flavor. It's going to have that extra sweetness, I think. Yeah. Just because that's what a daiquiri does. But I, I think if they called this strawberry, I would still believe that it was Bud Light strawberry. Because, yeah. You know, they do everything sweeter and more artificial. Um, it might be. Yeah. It might just be their strawberry again. No, their strawberry is bad. Yeah, um, strawberry is pretty bad. This was okay. Yeah, it was fine. All right, let's bring it home with Tropical Punch. Grab a towel because this new flavor will transport seltzer drinkers to the beach with its tropical aroma and summery notes. I thought I was going to say this new flavor will make you wet. God. <laughs> Can you imagine if Bud Light did that? <laughs> Christ. Clean yourself up. <laughs> You're going to want to sit on a towel for this one. <laughs> Ugh, what the fuck? 
maybe you get yourself a sham wow. This would be a ton of liquid. God. I'm fine on this. Like, yeah, I it's know. just, I think the punch part of it kind of makes it not a sour citrus. Yeah. It's got citrus in it. It tastes a little bit like a, a, a tiny bit of like a rum punch, like a railhouse punch. Not a, that's certainly not as good, but I'm, I'm going to give this a three as well. I think it's just fine. Wow. We are aligned across the board. Also three, 75 decibels or a toilet flushing. Notably, I'm not throwing this down the toilet. I'm going to drink it, but it is the sound of a toilet flushing. Yeah. So overall, I mean, this is a three. Yeah, this is a three out of five pack. Middle of the road pack. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. I mean, it's uh, better than I thought. I thought we we rated this lower. I feel like we did. We might have. We'd have to go back to the tapes. I am curious if our taste has been corrupted so far that this was like a two or something. And we. Yeah. It probably has because Bud Light definitely hasn't changed anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like Bud Light's gotten better. We've just gotten worse. Oh, God. That's oof. Yeah. Probably right. <laughs> We're easier to please. Yep. <laughs> which, which I think is a testament to like, if anything in recent memory has been bad, mm-hmm. it's been really bad. Like, yeah. Like, if we're rating stuff bad, like the fact that we're coming around on some of these that, like, I'm gonna guess we rated somewhat harshly. I bet we gave that margarita one out of five. I bet we did. Yeah. And well, I, yeah, because I remember you were like, oh, Bud Light Margaret. Like, I I remember you talking about how bad it was beyond the review sesh. Yeah, because I thought it was really bad. Yeah. And look at where we are now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Would you look at us? This is not good. <laughs> A little depressing. <laughs> oh, God. We got to keep it. Shit. Okay. Um, would you crank this pack up to 11? Crank up the decibels all the way. Does that mean I drink the whole pack? If so, then yeah. I was just, you know, I'd drink all 12 of these. Yeah. You know what? I guess I'd crank it up too. I don't know if I'd get too loud. I wouldn't be excited not, about yeah. it, I guess. I'm not going like, to brag to my friends that I'm drinking these, but right, if but, they're available, yeah, sure. Why you know, not? This is the pack that's in somebody's fridge and they're offering, like, I'll drink these. Yeah. Speaking of, which two do you want to uh, crush for the back half of this episode? Well, I think it's a pretty even split. You either get the mojito and the margarita, or you get the punch and the daiquiri. Ooh, I would love punch and daiquiri. All right, I'll take the other two. Sweet. All right, well, let's get into the next segment of this show. We are going to be talking a little bit about the final fight of book five. Notably, at the time this episode drops, two out of three episodes have been released of that fight. So... We're going to need to be careful. We recorded those not back to back, but pretty close together. And I want to make sure that neither of us are dropping spoilers about something that might happen or who killed whom or who died at what time. So we're going to be really careful about that and be as spoiler free as absolutely possible. But I did want to take this opportunity to talk about the fight a little bit, because with our charity stream coming up that we're going to be talking about more later, it's going to be a while before we really get a good chance to break down anything from the show. I mean, we're going to be a month out and we're going to be starting book six by then, essentially. Yeah. And it's going to feel a little little late to start talking about this final fight. So instead of going play for play through the thing, I thought it would be good for us just to review the combatants. So you all know what Matumbe can do. You know what Eclipse can do, yada, yada, yada. I want to talk a little bit about who the new friendlies are and who the enemies are. So effectively what I'm looking for is what are these characters' ancestries, their classes, their templates? What monster are they? Did you change added abilities? And I want to know how it differs from the printed material in the book, because obviously like Ed Turner is a new character. So Let's talk about that a little bit, Griff, if you'd like to. Sure. Uh, I can start with the friendlies. Sure. Markarth is an elder air elemental. So the CR 11 air elemental is the strongest that they get, Mm -hmm. which makes him a huge creature, et cetera, et cetera. He wasn't in the printed material. Obviously, there was an air gem, (laughs) you know, and I I changed that into, into this to kind of reward you guys for diplomatic play. Halloran is in the book, is written as a potential ally uh, you're supposed to fight him but he's an ex-paladin so he was good at some time and was you know was obviously turned into a vampire against his will 
which lost him his paladin powers. What's his role in the book? Is he just like a protector of the grounds then and under their yeah, control? Yeah, he's kind of like Turner's gift to the witches, like mm. to, to help protect them at the, you know, because he's working with them and whatever. He, he like dominates and turns Halloran and then like because he's his thrall, like sends him there to protect the witches. And then the witches subsequently use like command undead to force him to do things that they want him to do, like search for the skull and that kind of thing. Sure. So what's his sheet look like? So I changed him. And, and what I changed is that both in the book and in on the show, he was a fighter for Paladin 8. However, he is just a powerless Paladin. Mm-hmm. In the book, I made him a vindictive bastard in the show to give him a little bit more power to make him actually a worthwhile ally. Yeah. So he's a level 12 character. A vindictive bastard lets him basically be like a fallen paladin and and still have like a smite ability and still, you know, it's not really as good as being a full paladin, but it's one of those X classes like the heretic is for Inquisitor. Yeah. And like the one, the vessel of the lost or whatever is for the cleric that Emily had to take. So I gave him some better gear. (laughs) Okay. I gave him mithril full plate of speed instead of just full plate. And I gave him a wing shield. I think most of you in that fight have like the ability at some point to fly. You're at the level now where that should be kind of a given. So I just wanted to give him some self buff abilities that he could he could do so he wasn't draining resources and it didn't feel like a burden to use him. Because mm-hmm. I know like sometimes with Quinley it does feel a little bit like that. Because he just he's been with you guys so long he doesn't have his own resources to burn anymore. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, a lower level than you guys. That was your allies. You know, I think they if not yet, do play a pretty decent role in this fight. I think the the worm that walks versus the uh, air elemental is is a nice balancing act. Yeah, that's um, a good clash of the titans. I really enjoy that. Yeah. So you got a couple bad guys here. Well, why don't we just go alphabetical? Asia Dubless is the witch. She's just a human witch, a 12th level witch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is a seducer witch, which allows her to use charisma instead of intelligence, which stacks really nicely with the psychic vampire template, which is what I gave Oh, her. psychic vampire. We talked about those yeah. in a press on a truth. Yeah, so she's a psychic vampire, which gives her some psychic spell casting as well as just her regular witch spell casting. She is relatively strong because her charisma is like in the 30s, <laughs> mm. which, you know, with undead, not only is going to play to her spell casting, but also acts as her con. So she's got like a plus 11 con. Yep. Which, you know, beefs her hit points astoundingly as a witch. She's still over 200 hit points. She's got all kinds of stuff. I don't know how deep we want to get into it because she's she's a spellcaster. I could, you know, talk about her spellcasting, but she's got hexes. She's clearly not using like, though. So, so the other Dubless sister was a Velomancer, mm-hmm. the, the Wish Granter Witch, which kind of allowed her to invest and proactively use oh, sure, hexes yeah. because Asia can't do that. You see that she's not really using hexes as frequently in the fight. She's kind of relying on her spell casting. It's also kind of difficult because some of her spells don't exactly work. An ally like Uthi, who is like multiple, mm-hmm. you know, so if it's a mind affecting spell, it does work, but if it's like a targeted one creature thing it doesn't work absolutely so it was it was a little hard to like balance the buffing there her drain attack is different than a regular vampire where instead of negative levels she drains your highest mental ability mm-hmm. and she's got you know your normal vampire immunities it's nice because like her psychic spells she gets burst of adrenaline emotive block haste mental block mind thrust for spider climbs, synaptic screech or something, and riding possession. So these are all spells that like don't cost her spell slots. Yeah. It's just she has a pool of psychic points. I think she has 12 points of psychic energy and each of those cost her a different amount. So she could, in effect, like cast that high-level mind thrust like three times without using a spell slot, which is strong. This is where it's difficult to be spoiler-free. Yeah. And to not talk about some of these abilities because these abilities rock. Yeah. She's got some great abilities. She's got some really cool items. Uh, I don't want to 
spoil that because that's coming up Mm -hmm. when they're used and when they're figured out. So that's all I'll really say about her. Yeah, Ed, he's the highest character level in this combat. He's a a level 13 cleric, obviously of Grotus. He's just got the regular vampire template. I did beef some of his stats just, you know, with the vampire ad and then... um, and then to kind of bring him in line with the rest of the combatants here, going from a player character to a big bad <laughs> adventure. But initially, there was a level 12 vampire rogue. That's the guy you're supposed to be going after. Okay. That Ed kind of took their place in the adventure. Do they have a pretty one-for-one, maybe thematic or like story swamp where yeah. he's... Yeah. I don't know if it's still a tailor or anything, yep. but yep. yep. So he's it's, it's like pretty, it's pretty one for one. Okay. Ed just fit well in that slot. So I just used that kind of story for him instead, but that character could be in this fight. If the same thing happened to you as happened with Ed, where like you weren't able to take him down in the tailor shop, mm-hmm. then he does retreat back. So either way, that character could have been in this combat. I mean, there's not really a ton to say about a cleric other than that he has level seven spells. Right. Yeah. If it's just like regular cleric spells, everyone's kind of seen those before. So, but is the book constructed in such a way that you hinted to where you could potentially kill the book five big bad like early in the book and then have to come here later and clean it up? He's stronger. Izzy is meant to be like the big bad. Mm -hmm. This vampire witch. He's not as strong, obviously, as that rogue. Yeah. So he's kind of like a mid-book boss. Huh. Okay, sure. But obviously it makes more sense for Turner to, like, be stronger. Yeah. And be, like, a somewhat of a book five big bad in that respect. Mm-hmm. But it's supposed to be more like a relationship where, like, he's the pusher and the dealer and, like, trying to upset the balance of the vampires mm-hmm. and, like, these big bad witches are the ones that are actually like making the drugs and like I guess kind of they're supplying him and they're kind of above him that's interesting I, I like the change that you made to that dynamic I like all of these witches I think they're fascinating but Turner just fits so well in there yeah and makes for a little bit more of a compelling villain than some witches you stumble into in act three of the right, book right yeah they feel a little bit out of place of all of the bosses of the books i think book five is the weaker one sure book three like Vrood, that's a super strong boss notably i like built him up and changed him and everything and i built him up in our story and in our backside story and all that stuff but like he just felt like so much more of a like integral to the story boss yes and like the aberrant promethean like it felt like you were uncovering a ton of stuff on the way too and then it was just like this huge thing like this huge encounter Mm -hmm. that things were building to, even if the Promethean itself isn't connected to like the whispering way splatter man, there were teases all throughout and he clearly was miles beyond what we should have been able to tackle at the time. Mm -hmm. I think you even said like, he's a startlingly difficult combatant, like not even augmented out of the book. Yeah. He's like a seventh level ghost wizard. Yeah. (laughs) Like for a party of, what were you guys like level three level four one of those two i yeah. thought four but i could be wrong about that yeah i mean he's got like empowered uh, uh magic, magic missile, missile that's that. just like completely f's you guys yep so yeah I won't, I won't speak too much to turner other than that i built him kind of from the ground up in terms of his spell list and stuff to make mm-hmm. him major threat to you guys listeners have already seen like one at least one of his big level seven spells he's got a couple others oh yeah um how about our boy conus Conus is in the book mm-hmm. is actually meant to be encountered like coming out of that statue that's on the other side of the room so when you guys enter the area there's like a statue to your right and then the room with like the pentagram on the floor and mm-hmm. everyone and he's supposed to be encountered to the right and then Ezia is like to the left and it's weird because like the book splits them into two encounters and obviously you have line of sight to both areas oh, like, it doesn't really interesting. Make, it doesn't really make sense for it not to be a separate encounter so even in the book, I would have, like, just combined them. it just makes sense for the final combat to be those things combined. Sure. But in the book, he's a fighter. He's a level 12 fighter. Uh, he's still a blood knight. So a blood knight is an interesting template. It's 
kind of like a death knight, but made out of blood and gets like certain blood abilities. So they get like the blood slick and blood drain and like a bloody body. And but they're still like bounded to their armor mm-hmm. like a death knight is. But for him, because I wanted him to be, you know, connected to the knight heras and connected to air bear, blood knight's requirement is that you're able to wear heavy armor. Doesn't say what type. Mm-hmm. And so I made him a samurai wearing the Oyori armor. And um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to know his abilities, it's just Air Bear's abilities. Yeah. He's a Ronin samurai. Instead of Wikizashi's, he uses katanas. But he. <laughs> we he, saw the challenge. I think we saw it chained. We saw his tenacity or whatever like the resolve, hell he is. Yeah, his, his resolve. resolve. Yeah. His like self reliant stuff. So yeah, he's just a bad dude. I mean, that plus all of the terrain bullshit with the blood slick was really difficult. Oh yeah. So that's Konus. I mean, dudes, I had to tweak him because he's like undead and the blood knight template I don't think was like super well thought out. It gives you like a plus six charisma, but it's for classes that like really need HP and also probably don't have any charisma. Mm. So like, if you think about a fighter, like. What's the most charisma your fighter probably has is a plus one. Probably. So when they become a blood knight, like they become pretty par for the course in terms of like con. So I ended up beefing his charisma, which I think makes sense for a samurai anyway. Mm -hmm. But other than that, he was other than the change from (laughs) carbon copy of air bear instead of being a fighter, which would have had a ton more feats. His basic gist doesn't really change. Sure. Then there's Uthi. Uthi's wild. Uthi is not in the book. Oh! Uthi is a custom encounter that I built. Her story is in the book. Okay. So there's like the story about the two witches and the hag are a coven. Mm-hmm. And like Uthi gets kind of like scattered. Like she gets destroyed and her bones get scattered. And the witches know that if they can gather her bones together, they can bring her back. But they're like scattered all across this abbey. So they're looking for them. So she's not a worm that walks in the books, but she telepathically controls like 30 swarms of spiders that act as sentries the entire time you guys are in the abbey, which is kind of why we had this big encounter in the basement. There's no way to hide from these spiders. Yeah, There's, they know where you are. They know where you are. They're literally like in the book written in like almost every other room in the, in the abbey. So they can always see you. They can speak telepathically to the other witches. Are they written in as... You see spiders in the corner of the room and they disperse, or is it like you have to fight a level whatever spider swarm in every room? It's written that they like run away from you. Got it. But yeah, you could try and fight a level one spider swarm. Right. It's so like tedious yeah. and annoying. Yeah. So I just kind of had them run from you. All right. So what did you build? <laughs> so in the story of Uthi, she is an Anis hag. They're the strongest of the hags, as we mm. talked about with hags, but they're like physically strong. So I'm made her an Anis Hag variant worm that walks, obviously the variant being spiders. And then because she wasn't put together, I didn't feel right giving her like a full caster thing, but I made her stronger in combat. So she is a six level blood rager. Mm. What bloodline did I give her? Spider. (laughs) I think I, I just gave her the arcane bloodline so she could like pop on a spell when she entered a rage. But so Anis Hag is like a CR5 mm-hmm. worm that walks, takes that up to a CR7 and then, you know, six levels of Blood Rager plus some gear and puts her in pretty firm CR13-14 territory. So she's definitely the strongest physical combatant whether you knew it or not in the fight. And She's no joke. Yeah, she's no joke. She's got a bite, two claws, a rend and then she gets free grab on her bite and claws. If she grabs you she then does this squirming embrace, which allows her to like transfer you into the swarm. Uh, she can do this only with one person at a time. Otherwise, she has to keep them grabbed. But if she does it with one person, they basically get grabbed by the swarm and she doesn't act like she's grappling them and they take swarm damage. So the swarm damage is 3d6 plus 15. <laughs> and there's like a DC 24 fortitude save to nauseate. So... Her distraction ability is really strong. So yeah, she's just she's kind of brutal. This won't be a spoiler. I can't remember if you actually call this out. It might not be till the third part of the fight, but 
for listeners at home, what's that CMD? Because we talked about this a little off air in between episodes, and it is worth calling out. Yeah, her CMD is 50. Yeah. Her CMB to grab is, I think, uh, over 30. It's like 34. At least half of us, that's an auto success if you don't roll one. Like, that's wild. Yeah, she's, uh, she's brutal. All right, well, the combat's in our rearview mirror. I don't feel comfortable talking about any more of it because I'm very worried that we might spoil or hint at how things go. So we're not going to do that. But what I do want to check in with you at, at the end of the second episode, Turner's defeated. Who else is defeated? I'm trying Conus to is defeated. Conus is defeated. We have Runus turned to stone. And I think that is all of the major. Yeah, Air Bear had been killed. Yes. And Matumbe had almost been killed. Had almost been killed twice. I believe Quinley was... I think this was around the point where you were at 30 combined health between you and Quinley. Yes. Um, So that was really bad. The blood slick had, like, knocked Halloran down. He lost his sword. Eclipse lost her axe in that. And, it's you know, when she loses her axe, it's a whole big thing because of her haunt. So my question to you is coming out of that second episode, going into the third one, was this shaping up the way you thought it was going to shape up? I think so. At the end of the second episode, you'd put virtually zero damage on the other two combatants. Right. So you guys really focus Turner down with that shared smite mm-hmm. that Halloran had. You know, Air Bear really tried to focus Conus down, uh, died in the process, <laughs> and then and then like continued that fight. And I was a little nice there to let him get that kill from the ground. But this is about how I thought it I, I was. I was thinking when we went into this, this is going to be three hard episodes. Mm-hmm. And with how close a lot of you are to death, I feel like I spread it around. Yeah, uh, I for feel sure. like I spread it around. I feel like there could have been more deaths. I feel like some, some Matumbes in the room got really lucky with the rolls on some of these uh, spells, which... Mm-hmm which happens, but still kind of shocking. <laughs> and other people didn't get, I think Rune missed that DC by 10. Mm. Like on that save. Yeah. So some were lucky, some were not, but I kind of expected to get or nearly get half of you. That's pretty much fight. where we were. Uh, so, and, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a war of attrition, but like, if you looked at like the hit point totals on either side, we're probably pretty damn near close. Yeah, truthfully. At the end of two. Truthfully, we just had more bodies to spread it over. Mm-hmm. That's what it came down to. They went down because there was four of them. And we we were looking really bad. Anyway, we got to keep it moving. Let's talk a little bit about book six. So sure. we've recorded an episode beyond the final fight. Obviously can't talk about what's happening in there, but we are headed towards book six. So just wanted to take this moment to give the audience at home a little preview of what's to come. Griff, what's the title of book six? Shadows over Gallowspire. Shadows over Gallowspire. Exciting. So, all right, we know the title and we know that so far each book in Carrion Crown has had some sort of unique gothic horror theme. Does book six have its own theme? We had werewolves. We had vampires. We had Lovecraft. We had ghosts. What up? I would say the theme here, like if if you were to think of an enemy type, it's kind of all over the place with undead. There's a lot of, you know, as you get higher, you expect, you know, higher level undead. There's a lot of lich type creatures, but the theme of book six is more like gothic settings. It's like the land of the dead. If you think of gothic settings, like the old graveyard and the old, like, you know, abandoned church and that kind of thing, like this Gothic architecture and that kind of thing that resonates better with book six than like, this is the zombie book. That's really interesting. You're, you're essentially chasing a cult back to its lair. Mm -hmm. And the whole book has kind of a behind enemy lines feel because it, it truly is. It's like, you guys are entering a part of the world that was scarred so badly by the whispering tyrant that it's like permanently tainted to like foster like everything that dies there comes back as undead like mm-hmm. living people don't live there anymore this is like straight up mordor yeah if mordor yeah. was like full of yeah. zombies mm-hmm. it's just like it's blasted wasteland yeah. mm-hmm. so all right 
How much of this are you planning to run straight out of the book? How much are you planning on revamping slash homebrewing? Can we expect a, another giant interlude? Are you just kind of copying and inserting characters where they should be, but keeping the story intact? What should someone who's read the campaign expect? Expect the setting beats to stay the same, but mm-hmm. the sense of urgency to be much higher, the sense of scale to be much higher. Expect to see everyone that we've seen. Like, oh, okay. expect all of the neutral interlude characters. Expect every character that everyone has played that is like still in it mm-hmm. to be there. Expect NPCs that have a vested interest to be there. Horus, the mayor, <laughs> Wood Guy, <laughs> the several saved brains, the pinheads. Yeah, the sense of scale will be much bigger. It was maybe alluded to in the neutral interlude for instance but it's like in the neutral interlude you guys gathered like an entire wolf tribe and Mm -hmm. like allies like an ancient lich a wolf tribe and a lich on top of the wolf tribes that ikmer already exactly that's like where you're going is to get them to bring them in and like you know just tangentially you have like tulia is fulfilling a contract with a demon who clearly has allies there and she has allies there. Like there's pieces and parts of this that I think are going to be much grander scale than written. You have the whole nano opal piece of this, the Mm -hmm. whole saw piece of this that still needs to be resolved. So will some of the enemies be the same? Yeah. Will some of the maps be the same? Yeah. Will some of the ways that you go about encountering these challenges be different? Absolutely. You're probably going to have at any given point, two to three characters at your disposal to figure out, you know, who you want to send where and what you want to do. For you and I, it it reminds me a little bit of like the end of Return, where you had like could mix and match parties and you could do that kind of thing. That's kind of what, what I'm trying to build for this end game. But like, you gotta figure out what the hell happened to your dragon ally. Like, you gotta yeah. figure out what happened. Like, stuff happened. <laughs> stuff happened, and and you have, you know, if they survive this fight, you have other allies that you've just met. You know, mm-hmm. that that have a vested interest in helping you. So, much more grandiose, I'd say. Sure. And I think you kind of alluded to this. My next question on the agenda here was like, what loose ends are you trying to tie up? And also, are there some storylines that are done that we shouldn't expect to return to? But it kind of sounds like we're pretty much just hitting everything. Yeah, I mean, I I would say at this point, I think Freya's storyline is done, Mm -hmm. you know, just given the nature of how she left. Yeah, there are loose ends that won't be tied up mm-hmm. you know there, there's just too much to tie up unless we you know went back on every npc and like did a you know <laughs> don't need like a zokar episode and then uh, like you may yeah. never really learn what happened in that six hotel room and that's okay well uh, i think that's better left to the imagination yeah you know I, i'm not saying that like the pea trees are going to come to your aid and mm-hmm. the, you know they're probably going to stay behind so yeah, I mean, book six is the book of tying up loose ends. Like, we, we have so many out there that it's time to wrap this shit up. That's right, baby. Time to wrap this shit up. All right. So given that all of these books so far have had very distinct themes, one of the things that we've done on this show and in listener watch parties and stuff is suggested movies and done a couple watch alongs with some listeners of the shows of movies that are thematic to each individual book. Do you have any for book six? Absolutely. Army of Darkness is the silly pick Mm -hmm. because I mean, that's what that's what this is. Sure. But I think the most thematic thing I can pick without like going straight into fantasy because like there's not a lot of movies about like reawakening a, a lich. Yeah. Right. But Overlord is what really? is what this is. Overlord. Oh wow! This is like you guys, the party of four paratroopers, going into this like completely fucked up area that you don't necessarily realize the extent of how bad it is, and then it's like I actually didn't even know that you've seen Overlord. Yeah. That's a good ass movie. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah! Ooh, and makes- like the experiments, like you already know, mm-hmm. shit's going down with Kendra. Yeah experiments are happening i'm sure that's not all yeah so 
yeah, I think I think Overlord is a really good pick for this one. I think it's almost like Land of the Dead in reverse. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen Land of the Dead, like George Romero's Land of the Dead, it's it's one of the ones after Dawn of the Dead, so you know it's not like the highest quality, but yeah. it's like the zombies attack the last bastion of humanity. It's like in scale, mm-hmm. that's what this is. But you know, it's not zombies attacking outward. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I get what you're coming from there. It's it's the themes of it, not necessarily the story beats or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I think Overlord's story beats are very similar. That gets me so unreasonably hyped because that is a movie that I would like love to play a parallel TTRPG to. Like, it's yeah, going behind enemy lines, you're cut off, you're fighting these crazy abominations it's visceral it's rated r with a capital r hell yeah let's go i love that yeah and i think that lends itself to like the hey what kind of monster what, what kind of enemy is here it's like every kind of undead and mm-hmm. kinds you've never seen yeah and like that like mutation and experiment piece of it it plays in really nicely you know, I think I think when you consider the the other side of it, the nano opal side, mm-hmm. there's maybe different considerations there, because that that almost feels more like your fantasy trope, right? Yeah, that feels more like the your Hansel and Gretel type stuff. Yeah, but but almost like certainly Hansel and Gretel, but also like you're we're going to the big bad to save a specific person, not like we're going to stop this giant evil, but like Saw is like the damsel in distress mm-hmm. in a way. Well, Saw and Anya, obviously. Uh, right. It's a weird dynamic because, like, when we run into him, is he going to want to be safe? Because he he obviously doesn't want to be working for Nana Opal, but if Anya's tied up, he's not going to want to flip sides or anything until she's safe. So, personally, we have not talked about that too much, so I have no idea how that's going to shake out. So, yeah. I'm I'm very interested. Yeah. I, I guess I what I would say to maybe build hype for this part of the adventure is oh, that well, hold like, on one second my, my very final question was if there's one tease you want to give listeners to get them excited is this it yeah all yeah. right hell yeah let's do it i think if you've enjoyed my homebrew thus far this is going to deliver more than any of it ever has this will be the best homebrew stuff i've ever done so if you like any of the other homebrew stuff i've done what i'm doing to augment this part of the adventure to tie everything together is gonna work it's gonna be good i can't wait i'm so excited when do we get to record this i think we start a week from today maybe we start we start book six next week hell yeah episode 218 218 yeah 218 217 was like the Um, tie the bow on book five yeah i mean i couldn't tell you at this point with the stuff i have planned how long book six will go i think just the trend of things right book five in essence took about 45 just by virtue of like things getting higher level and yeah you know final combat taking three episodes and whatever and 200 not really being a part of book five so i i mean i'd say this is going to be likely at least as long as book five so somewhere around the 250 range is where i think we'll end good time to call it quits or keep going who knows we'll see at some point we'll announce something or not You'll see (laughs) at some point there will or will not be an announcement. All right. Let's get into some listener questions. How does that sound? Sounds good. So the first one I'm very, very excited to talk about because this is something that we haven't really touched on in a format like this where we've just kind of spoken openly on on our thoughts on this theme. So Biomechanimagical asks, why is there so little romance in tabletop RPGs, especially podcasts? For me, if a character doesn't feel and express love or passion, they don't seem to feel like a complete person and are less interesting and dramatic than they could have been. I remember this is actually a question that we were talking about extensively while we were drunk at the Oracle. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this, Griff? I mean, my why isn't it as prevalent, mm-hmm. especially in podcasts? Uh, it's a little awkward, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's kind of awkward to put your friend in a romantic situation that you don't have romantic feelings for. Mm-hmm. I'd say at our table, it, it's maybe amplified by like the fact that there are two couples oh, for at sure, the yeah. table. So it's like, it's a little weird if like 
for me to have a romantic scene with like Brooks's wife. Yeah. You know, we all trust each other at the table, but there is certainly like there's an awkwardness to it and an awkwardness that makes it a little bit hard to kind of role play fully and convincingly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you don't see it that often. It's not really that these characters don't love and don't have love interests. It's just it's really hard to role play that in a convincing manner to the extent that it maybe deserves. And, you know, furthermore, there are a lot of adventures that aren't very conducive to having love interests. I'll say Carrying Crown is one of them. You're like kind of constantly on this chase. There's not really a lot of downtime to develop a relationship. Truly, if Matume was to like start some sort of romantic thing during Carrying Crown, his dating pool is pretty much exclusively the people in the party. Mm-hmm. Like, unless he's hooking up with one of them, like, what's he going to do? Like, talk to someone in Leopardstat and then leave for a year? Like, it doesn't really work. Right. And I think that's why, like, we have romantic interests in Bestow Curse. Yeah. Because you guys are in a common setting that you've lived in and that you are continuing to live in. And so it's a little bit more organic to have a relationship in that kind of circumstance. Now, let me bounce an idea off you, because I've been thinking about this a lot. When you go to play a TTRPG, whether it's on on a podcast or not, you're effectively like fulfilling a fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Like in Carrying Crown, I would love to like be a big dude with an ironbound book that crushes undead with it. How awesome is that? I can't do that in real life. I also like love playing like a devil born tiefling that turns into a tiger when he gets mad. I can't do that in real life, but in real life, like I can fall in love and I can pursue romantic interests. Like I'm not going to TTRPGs to get fulfilled in that way. Yeah. And I know that sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit because I lean really hard into that and bestow curse, but I'd also like to like set the scene there that like, I am single and like I don't have like a wife or a girlfriend or something. So like I do enjoy like role playing that out because I'm not getting romance like in my day to day life. But like if that's something you are getting or are actively pursuing, you don't need to go somewhere else to find it. You know, you don't need to go to Pathfinder or D&D to find it. Right. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people use TTRPGs to figure out things in their personal life mm-hmm. um, and romance and sexuality and stuff can can be a part of the things that you figure out with TTRPGs. It's just, I don't know that for a podcast specifically, that's something that like we're actively trying yeah. to like discover about ourselves as we get recorded and put it out yeah. to other people. And I think there just has to be a lot of buy-in for everybody. Like, I mean, you guys know I'm open to doing like a relationship with your characters. Um, We like talked about Beck and Trinia before the podcast ever started for Bestow Curse. Like that was stuff we got out on the table. We're like, we want to do this. Okay, you're comfortable. I'm comfortable. Cool. Yeah. But to spring that on someone is that might not be looking to do that is not cool. Yeah. and, And sometimes you just don't know if that's going to happen in a campaign. And so it does kind of develop. And then there's a difference of, you know, your GM and yourself or yourself and another player. There's a difference of desire to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so all of these factors kind of work against it happening frequently. I don't think that makes a character like any less real or dynamic. I think romantic and romantic love is not like the only kind of love felt by these characters. I mean, just like the love between like Matumbe and Eclipse is there. Yeah. It's just not romantic love. And so that's, I feel like all of these characters experience love, even if they're not like actively pursuing relationships. And even like many of our characters that still have families and stuff, like there are connections and there are, you know, there's the love between Matume and his daughter that is rekindling. Like, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship for it to feel like that character experiences love. And if that character doesn't experience love, I don't know that that makes them any less of a dynamic character either. Yeah. Um, so that's really well put. I appreciate that. What I will say to like the sentiment of the question is if you look at it from a perspective of 
there are X amount of people that play X amount of characters in TTRPGs or TTRPG podcasts. And maybe it's a little underrepresented how many of those characters that you play or that are on these shows or in these games have romantic relationships. Probably. But the reason that most of these characters might not have those type of relationships is all the stuff that we've mentioned already. Like, sure, maybe it doesn't mirror reality, but we're playing TTRPGs here. Well, I just think if yeah. you had people in real life that were adventurers, they also wouldn't really be suited for mm-hmm. traditional relationships. Um, yeah. I mean, take pirates. Like, pirates were a people. You don't really hear about a ton of, like, long-lasting relationships like that pirates found. Well, I've seen our flag means death. And well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, a great example of one happening, but that's like, but it's but it's a struggle. It's mm-hmm. a huge struggle. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I think you got to think about the context of the of the type of person that's an adventurer too, uh, when you think about how a relationship might even work logistically. Yeah, I very much appreciate this question because this gives us the opportunity to address this. It's a complex question with a complex answer, and yeah. I don't know. I do like role-playing romance sometimes but it's difficult you you really need your buy-in you really need to think if it makes sense it needs to be the right campaign you need to be playing with the right people with the right buy-in so i mean there's just a whole lot of factors you got to consider that's what it comes down to yeah and it's touchier than like almost any other thing you can do in the game oh yeah you know it's it's like you really got to know your friends before you start like doing a fake romantic encounter with them much more so than like if you send a group of goblins to fight them, mm-hmm. it takes a different group <laughs> to, to do. You're never going to have a romantic relationship in your society scenario game, <laughs> right? It's just, it, it'd be very rare for that to happen and probably very uncomfortable. Indeed. All right. Well, we are coming up on time here. So we, we've got a couple questions here that we I think we can just fly through because they're, they're, they're pretty good ones, but I think we can get some quick answers here. So Jason... Question. Was there any temptation to play as stand-ins for the characters from Scooby-Doo for Malevolence? Um, that would be really fun. I mean, that cool. would be great. We just didn't think of it. Nah, <laughs> we got stuck on the home inspector thing, and I think that's working really well. But I definitely can see an alternate history where Ginto and Abuela are Shaggy and Scooby. Yeah. <laughs> like Zoinks Abuela. <laughs> Let's act together, Abuela. <laughs> All right, finder of paths and stars question. Someone I know thinks that an AP would be RP'd better if the players all read the adventure before getting started. Your thoughts? Uh, no. I mean, then you should just go act in your local stage production. Yes. <laughs> if you want to know how the whole thing plays out. Do a radio drama. Yeah. You're right. Do community theater. Yeah, do community like, theater. Like, <laughs> that's essentially what you're doing at that point if you know the whole thing. I guess you're relying on dice to determine outcomes of certain things, but you know how the whole story is supposed to go. Yeah, like that's an interesting point, Griff. You're talking about the dice. Like the question here isn't even does the player have an unfair advantage because they know like what enemy types are coming or what have you. This is from a role play perspective, and I don't. That's a real freaking tough sell for me to say that it, it makes more sense for someone to read the adventure and then role play to it. It just it's less authentic. Yeah. I really like as a GM working with your players to come up with like a good backstory and good backstory motivation mm-hmm. that will eventually be, you know, hooked in yeah. and then you have a real authentic reaction and real authentic role play based off of that mm-hmm. uh, instead of just like, you know, fabricating motives because they work with the adventure and I don't know. It feels like a lot less character investment to do it that way. Yeah. Tell this person to have more faith in their GM or get a better GM. I don't know. Someone who's going to work with them. Don't feel like you have to do the work yourself. Have fun. It's not your job to do the work. It's your job to have fun. That's what I'm doing here. Having fun. Anyway, your Tumbe asks for Steve. So this is a question for me. Robert Pattinson is Obi-Wan or Ian McGregor is Batman. And if you thought that I... Really had trouble with the romance question. I had a quite difficult time with this. Yeah. My thoughts are that I can see Robert Pattinson playing Obi-Wan a little easier, or young Obi-Wan easier than I can see Ian McGregor pulling off of Batman. I love Ian McGregor. He is an international treasure. However, I find 
that he probably would not be able to pull off the raw, angry, vengeance-filled side of Batman that I love, as well as our pats could pull off the like understanding Jedi thing. I think he could do a great like Clooney Batman though. Yeah. It's just not the Batman that I like or want. Yeah. So I, I don't, but it's an iteration of Batman. 100%. And that, that you know, if, and if that's the question, if, if one of them could pull it off, I mean, either one could pull off. Yeah, either it's it's, it's which one you good. like better. I think our pats just in look alone would play a much better Sith character. Oh, uh, yes. He's got the look for it, especially in his in his Ed Cullen makeup. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think you're losing here on either one. I think you're getting a, a little bit of an easier path with our Pat Stu and Obi-Wan. But I mean, regardless, there's no losers. This is great. I think our pets should do the young Palpatine. <laughs> Young maybe, but I, I want to see him with the uh, the Anakin Skywalker braided rat tail. I'm sure that exists on the <laughs> internet. I'm confident that's out there. All right. We're coming up to the end of the episode. We got some brief wrap up and housekeeping. So this is stuff that most of you have heard before. But as this episode releases, Griff, Haley, Chris and myself are going to be at the Kennett Square Brewfest on October 1st. So that should be the week of release. As far as I'm aware, general admission tickets are still available. So if you want to come out, support a good cause, because the entire Brewfest is based around like supporting the local economy there and keeping Kennett Square the way it is. You're just going to be able to like hang out with us, shoot the shit about Pathfinder and drink as much beer as you can great event we talk about it every year at rocks so if you want to come out tickets are still available and then finally special announcement next zone of truth live is going to be on october 8th as we announced last time but just in case you missed it we are doing this on twitch open to everybody where griff and i are going to be drinking these mystery trick-or-treat cryptid seltzers and trying to raise money for a very very special local organization that deals with special needs animals. It's called Speak for the Unspoken. We got a long history with these folks. They're absolutely lovely. But the cool thing, or I mean, if you could get cooler than getting animals that need a home into a home, we're going to be, as the night goes on, teasing uh, some future HLP project content stuff. I'm ready to like let it all out there. I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah. We're ready to do a whole bunch of announcements, but we want to raise some funds, and uh, if we do so, we're going to do it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's it. You excited? Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. I hope so. It's your, it's your 30th birthday. So. That is true. Also, uh, I guess we forgot to mention that. <laughs> You're going to be seeing me getting drunk on camera for my 30th birthday. So for nothing else, come out for that. Yeah. It's the double birthday, folks. It's the, yes. it's the HLP double birthday, Haley and Steve. It only comes once a year. Yeah. But when it does... Oh boy. Sploosh. You're going to want to be sitting on a towel, as they say. <laughs> as, as they say. As Bud Light says. You're as Bud Light be says. On a towel. <laughs> All right, Griff. Well, I think that wraps us up for tonight. Is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later.